Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 54 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So in this episode, we're going to dive into the transition of an OMS practice, the long awaited and requested episode. We've covered pedo in episode 28, ortho in episode 26, and perio on episode 29. So feel free to go back and listen to those. And as we've said in those episodes, there are some universal rules to transitions. And we hope you've gained some of those by listening to these episodes over the last couple of years. But there are unique factors of an OMS practice that can impact your transition, and we want to dive into those. So again, one more time for rules of disclaimer. There are no one formula. There's no one set of guidelines for any transition. And the specific factors of your transition will rule what it's worth. And ultimately, you're the one taking the risk. Do you like it? Do you love it? Does it fit what you want? And if you can say yes to those areas, then we can move on to the diligence and supporting your decision. And so we're going to talk about all of those things today. But before we get going, hello, Mr. Loretto. What's going on, Ms. Radcliffe? Not a lot. Honestly, it's been busy here, which is yes. lovely. And home has been good. We're back in person in the middle as we talk here in the middle of still COVID. Yep. So I can't complain about that. We did have, you know, the continued theft of our home. Oh my gosh, tell me. Someone stole our beautiful blue Adirondack chairs out of the front of our house that had been there for multiple, like nine months. And before then we had some like older ones. Yeah. They've been there forever. And so I'm, I'm sorry. on a client call in our front room and I see Chris out there and he's like looking around the corner, like literally thinking like, did they walk away? Like, right, what are you right. looking for? And he's like, someone stole our chairs. <laughs> so we go and look on the Nest camera from the neighbor and find out that they were like sometime in the middle of the night, someone came and, and picked oh. them up. It's very sad. Chris was very angry. Chris is tired of the theft, but yeah. So we're just gonna have to like replace them, right? I don't know. Like not live on a corner. Can we move our house? I'm not sure how how to how to do that. Old school, you know. You put the chain on them. You know, like a real like a concrete. You know, down like you go into the ground. You get a little concrete. You can put like a chain on them. It's you so know? so not attractive. It does not <laughs> go with my landscaping no. design, Charles. <laughs> yes. But that is what we will do to have somewhere to sit in our yard. Oh goodness. What about you? Oh not well today. Today is Roxanne's birthday. So Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. So even had to make a Facebook, you know, happy birthday because that's what husbands need to do. They have to figure out how much have I done to prepare for this birthday. And if I haven't done enough, I feel like I have to go to Facebook to announce the birthday. If it so it doesn't I, happen on social media, it doesn't happen. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I gave her a little love there. Things are going good. We're going up to Colorado this weekend where I'm just going to work remote up there, take in the grandma. I hadn't seen the grandkids up to see the brother-in-law and the grandkids and so we'll do that and of course i'm in colorado i gotta make a little trip up to vale to see buddy tom and hang out and do a little bit of vale beaver creek stuff for a few days but uh so i should tell the team to pack your schedule with calls over the next yes two weeks? yes to, to yeah I, I might have a few blocks <laughs> out like don't schedule or this is gonna charles tick charles off hiking. yeah hiking charles yes. is yeah. skiing by a fire <laughs> Well, I'm glad we are here today. Um, Get one more under our belt before we both take a little break here. So let's dive into this OMS transition. So clearly different than the others. I would say it's probably one of the more unique type of transitions probably less likely to be a walk away. So let's dive in. Let's talk about first like that point right there. As an oral surgeon, 
OMS type practice, I would say we do the least amount of walk away sales where a buyer is going to come in and buy from seller and seller is going to sell 100% and work back for a short amount of time. Over yeah, the it's, years. you know, let's just say we do 50 or so deals where we help the buyer buy something. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, a few mm-hmm. out of those 50. So you're right. It's not very common. You see a lot more partnerships, you know, in mm-hmm. surging. We'll, we'll talk about that. You see a lot more startups. Typically, that surgeon is borrowing, you know, somewhere about six fifty to do a startup if it's a lease space, and then it's even common for them to do ground build projects that they'll invest, you know, a couple of million, you know, out of the gate. And so, obviously, a lot of risk on that. But I think our firm and what you and what I've certainly seen is on these startup surgeons is they've done well, you know, 13th, 14th, 15th month. I mean, they're crossing 80, 90 grand of collections. So essentially they're kind of running a million dollar business and it takes a while before they're extremely profitable, like an established two or $3 million practice, but they can quickly get out of the gate faster. So I typically would say whenever, and we've talked about this in some of our startup episodes, but I think my endos and my surgeons and my pediatric dentist, that's the three you'll typically see kind of going down this startup route. I mean, I think that's the number one reason why from a walkway perspective, if you have an older surgeon who's looking to transition and even if he has a referral base, but you're going to have to spend five or $600,000 and then you're going to have to update all the equipment right. or, you know, new technology. I think the young buyers look at that and say, okay, I could go spend five or 600 on the startup and have everything new, or I could do this, spend right. that, and then I'm going to have to do that, update everything and probably spend double. So I do think there's like this cost benefit and it's a very unique Not that they don't happen. I just think it has to be a much more unique situation of wear and relationship and technology and the practice in particular for a walkway to work. Yeah, you might see that more in your metro areas where you see the walkaways because the metro area is simply going to be more updated equipment. It's going to be maybe a more more competitive. But in your rural area, we had one that we were trying to help find a buyer in like rural Ohio. And it was like an amazing like million five practice with like a 25 to 30 percent overhead. They made over a million bucks. Couldn't find anybody because you just no one wanted to go to rural Ohio. And even we ran the practice through the model and then it came up with this ridiculously high value. But we basically said, hey, that's not realistic here. And so even then, the guy just shut the doors, yeah. you know, so it's just like you said in your intro, your, your little disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> it is a disclaimer. I felt like I was watching, you know, like television and, and it's a slow commercial <laughs> and they're telling me about this drug, but then they talk really, really fast about all the disclaimers about how it's going to, you know, your legs are going to fall off if death. you take this, <laughs> take this drug. Yeah. There's disclaimers here about how these deals are valued and when they're valued. So, yeah. I mean, I think what we see way more often and from a both valuation and transition standpoint is the partnership in. Mm-hmm oral surgery. And I think that is by far, I think the way to kind of pull that equity out. If you're a seller and you have an oral surgery practice, um, how are you going to get out of it and kind of reap as much value as possible? I think it's going to be that gradual transition. Mm -hmm. Now there are, in my opinion, also a bunch of you very unique factors about oral surgery or OMS type partnerships and how they split money, the structure. So what would you say if you kind of like, what do you see most often when you talk about OMS partnerships? So what's most just like weird about, and I think it just has to, because listen, if you're a surgeon listening, you have to at least look at yourself in the mirror and say, we are a little different than the rest of the birds out there. And you see, it's very, very common for all of you guys and the few gals that are in the surgery space to work like inside of one S Corp or to work inside of one C Corp. 
And that just simply is not the most efficient way to run a partnership. And so we'll see, hey, this was this model was set up where you bought into this practice under some stock sale. You'll see this model set up to where we valued it at this way. And therefore, for the last 50 years, this is how people continue to kind of buy into this practice and it just never gets changed to the sixth and the seventh and the eighth and the ninth and tenth doctor and it's somehow it's the one part of dentistry that is a little different i think they they almost like copied a medical type transition back in the 60s or 70s and it just kind of like everybody told everybody and they just kind of kept doing it but they're all kind of unique like that and so what you know obviously we always prefer for our buyers to do an asset sell we always prefer that if we can uh, that our doctors work in multi-corporations where there's like a partnership and then every partner in the group would have their single S-corp. But just from a tax planning perspective and just how you split money and decision-making is so much easier. So if you are listening to this and you're thinking about buying into a single corp and you want some like, hey, why? Just kind of reach out to us and let us kind of take a look at that and give you our thoughts because there are some tax benefits with working in the multi-corp and it's, it's not common. Well, and I think also I will hear the term, it is most common for me to hear the term partnership when it truly isn't really a partnership mm-hmm. in an OMS type practice. And what I mean by that, meaning they say they're in a partnership and as a buyer, you look at that and say, okay, I'm, I'm being asked to like join this partnership. But when you really look at the numbers, what it is, is it's like three partners. It's three separate oral surgery practices because it's all eat what you kill. Meaning it's like every person has their own referral base. They don't share patients. Maybe they don't split money in the same fashion where you're kind of all, sh- all sharing in profit. So when you look at it from the outside, if you just look at like maybe a tax return, it looks like they're doing this huge number and they've got all this profit. But when you really dive into like how they're splitting money and how they actually run, it's actually, you know, John has his practice and here's his profitability and Sam has this and then, you know, Jane has this. Well, if you're going to buy into the whole thing, but you're only going to get, you know, whatever you drum up from referrals and the new business you bring in, then it's kind of like, what are you paying for, right? right? On the flip side though, you join a practice that's, you know, advanced oral surgery, made up name. And And when a patient calls or when a doctor refers someone over, they're just put on the first available person, right? And maybe you still have to go work referrals and and do that, but you're doing it on behalf of the practice rather than yourself. Those are two very different partnerships and, in my opinion, two very different values. Definitely. And what am I willing to pay for each of those? But I don't think that sometimes that's kind of the thought process that goes into when someone values a practice. I think you have to ask those questions about if you're going to be presenting a value to a buyer or kind of propose a transition to someone. So I yeah. think that's super unique. If you got like two 50-year-old guys and they're cranking it out and they're both doing, you know, two plus million, not doing much marketing, and you're the buyer and you're going to come in and the plan is, okay, I'll pay you 180 grand and go drum up the business and you get 40% of what you do and we're doing 5 million now and once you hit like six or seven, then yeah, we'll let you buy in, but you need to go drum it up. I mean, what's what's the difference between that and a startup? The ideal situation is the two guys that are doing five collectively is they're saying, hey, back to the advanced endo, our phone rings off the hook and we are going to immediately hand the patients over to you. We're going to fill your schedule. When you show up on Monday, the first day, you know, once you sign an associate contract and you start in a month, your schedule will be full. That's exactly what you want for the associate. And if I'm coaching the senior doctor, you're coaching the senior doctor, we're telling them that. So it creates a plan. We want to free up some of that schedule for the senior doctor 
and then create some time where they can go with you out marketing to the current super six that are referring to the practice, also to the other referral sources that are not, you know, some of your B and C referrals that are not. So there just needs to be a plan of action there. To me, that's my partnership. To me, that's my highest value. To me, that's why my buyer would go into something like that. And so two things to walk away from here is if you're the senior guy or gal and you're not willing to commit to that and just go to the 40%, you might have a guy or gal that comes to you and they might walk away. You might interview somebody and they don't accept the position. That might be the guy or gal that, that sets up down the street to become a competitor for you. And if you're the buyer, you see this and they're not creating that plan, that's going to be something where we're kind of looking at this opportunity and and perhaps we're even discussing a startup or put these conditions in the associate agreement or something that can force these senior doctors to create a transition plan that makes sense for you. Yeah. I mean, piece of this is no different than any other senior doctor. It's like you have to be willing to give up a layer of control and like your patients versus the practice's patients. Like there's just a layer of that that maybe you're just not ready to transition, but you do kind of have to have that forethought of like, hey, how am I going to get out of this in five or so years? And if you're referral based, you got to have some time to transition those referrals over or you're not going to capture the full value. Yeah. One more thing on the partnership I want us to hit on is just to be thoughtful of how you split money. And so if Christy and I, if we're in a partnership together, she has two assistants. I got two assistants. We're both using Nobel implants and the implant is 300 bucks, you know, each. We both do 2 million of collections each. We both work four days. Everything's the same. We got a 50% profit and we're both doing 2 million. So essentially we both make a million bucks a year. It's pretty easy in that relationship. But if Christy is a net gal and maybe she's doing trauma stuff and she's doing a million and then I'm not giving her the bread and butter cases of these wisdom teeth that are lined up for 1800 bucks a pop, you know, every half hour in the summer because I'm a control freak and I want all the money for myself and then I want to split money where I benefit only. I mean, this is going to cause some friction in our partnership. So we need to think about just how we share our team costs what implant systems are we using? And if they're the same, great numbers we're using. So we might think about even a split methodology based on, on costs there of who's doing what. And you think about maybe the person of hospital coverage on cases that we might not get paid on. And you think about maybe a different business center or cost center if we're doing elective surgeries for some of our MDs that have those capabilities. There's just a lot to think about how you split money in the partnership. And I certainly want to plug our Cane Waters like accounting department here where that ability to figure that out and create something that's fair in our partnerships has done a wonderful job to kind of think all these things through. So a lot to think about. Sometimes it's, it's sexy to see these multi-million dollar, here's my buy-in, I get to become an owner in this. But you definitely want to ask more questions of how the deal is going to work. Absolutely. And I think that's the biggest piece of any partnership. I mean, anything. But I do think that it's much more important to understand that on the front end versus getting too far in negotiation in an OMS practice. Let's talk about, we kind of touched a little bit on value, but let's talk about cost structure, overhead, just kind of what's typical in an OMS practice. And then I can kind of touch a little bit on the value and kind of some things I hear on that. Yeah. I know you've seen some crazy low overheads in your analysis Mm -hmm. and, and certainly how that impacts the value. But general numbers that we want to talk about today, Day is for like a surgery practice, you will typically see a surgeon tapping out, kind of capping what they're able to do around a two million number, two, 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 five, something like that. I mean, I've, I've seen surgeons that do north of five by themselves, but these are the rare birds, kind of like a general dentistry endo. There's always a cap. 
general rule, each surgeon, about two million, kind of is their number, general rule that we'd want to target for when we look at uh, their team cost is about 15%, 14, 15, 16% is their overall staff cost that we'd like to see. We typically want to see their implant kind of uh, supply cost anywhere between that eight to maybe as much as 11% in that area. When you're doing accounting for these businesses, what you really want to do is you want to segregate your implant cost from your overall supply cost. You can go to the Canewater site, how does your practice compare? Click on that booklet, go to page for oral surgery. You'll see some of these categories and expenses there. This is a, for a booklet purpose, it's just kind of a one pager. The actual financial statements, profit loss statements are typically on two pages that will break these details out a little bit further. But 15% is a good number for team costs. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 for our supply implant cost. And then, you know, our fixed costs are somewhere around anywhere between 12, 14%, something in that range on the fixed side. Ideally, as a surgeon, you're doing north of 2 million. If you got a 50% overhead, yeah, it's good. If you've got a 45%, 40%, 35% overhead, this is something that we are kind of high-fiving and celebrating over the phone. But essentially, you guys are making a million plus. You have seven-figure tax return, and your biggest issues are I can't do anymore. Biggest issues are taxes and kind of what to do with the money and you know kind of how to expand. And so it's pretty cool to see how profitable this specialty is and how much you can put on a top line. You can just you're so productive in these practices that it just there's a lot of profit here. Yep. And I think that the biggest misconception financially or from a valuation standpoint that I hear is I often hear that because it's oral surgery, OMS practice, it should be 50% of collections. Like the value should just automatically be the lowest value simply because it's oral surgery. And I think that's the furthest thing from the truth. I do think that there is more risk Mm -hmm. in an oral surgery practice, and I think it can have the highest risk of the specialties. But it can also, as you just said, it can also be super profitable. And so if you've listened to any valuation podcast or anything I've ever said, we know that profitability and risk are related. And so actually one of the largest and highest percentage of collection valuations I've ever done was an oral surgery practice, but it was a partnership. It had a 28 or 25% overhead. It was crazy low. It also had super high risk because it was hospital affiliation. But because when you looked at that, you know, when we kind of in the review, I mean, clearly that valuation, I think it was like 95% or something crazy high. And we spent a lot of time reviewing, like, why is this so high? And does this make sense? And when we really looked at it, it was like, risk benefit, right? Like you're going to get a lot of benefit and it's real risky, but you are willing to pay for something that gives you such a large return again, kind of year over year. And again, going back to how they're splitting money and what is a transition that buyer was in the practice. They knew what they were getting into. They, you know, already were established, like they were sharing money the right way. So they had zero problem paying that because it made sense for them. But, you know, do I think that in general, if I'm comparing an oral surgery practice to a general practice and all the things are the same, yeah, sure, the oral surgery practice will value lower. But I don't think, again, that we can apply these one-size-fit-all type of rule of thumbs to it just because it's oral surgery. So, like, let's just take a big practice, $4 million, but it's got amazing 25% overhead. It nets $3 bucks. It's got every fancy, updated 
equipment. It is the Taj Mahal. It could be the cover of oral surgery magazine, you know, whatever. If you value that business, and let's just say it's crazy, 90% of collection. So we're saying this $4 million business is worth $3.6 million. A young surgeon come out of residency, shares it with all of their other residency, goes online, and says, this is ridiculous. I would never pay 90%. If you think I'm ever going to pay 90%, there's, I'm out. I'm going to go down the street. Okay, so let's just play the game and say you go down the street. You're going to borrow 650000 That's going to be your startup cost. You have zero patients and zero income. How long does it take you to make money? I don't know, but let's play the game that you bought into the business. So if you bought into the business and you borrowed a third, you bought in at one-third of the practice, you borrowed $1.2 million to buy 33% of the business. Out of the gate, you borrow money, you pay the bank, but you make $1 million day one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you borrow, let's say, $600,000 more, $550,000 more to become a partner in this practice with the $4 million that can grow overnight yep. to 5 and 6 and 7 with you there. But you don't want to do that because somebody on Facebook or somebody colleague told you that 90% doesn't make sense. 90% makes sense when it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, yeah. if you show me how much money I'm going to make and I get to walk in and do it and I get that check, I'm willing to pay more for that. That's the, that's the biggest thing I want the listener, both the buyer and the seller. But seller, don't come to me from Ohio and say, I heard your podcast and I'm expecting 90%. We may sell that Ohio practice for 30% of collections. So I always find it interesting to people want to hear what they want to hear. What they want to hear. <laughs> you know, I heard this and I want this to apply. It's not how it works. Yeah. It's just not how it works. And so, again, look at this whole big picture. Show me your other options. But I love partnerships, I love low overheads. And I love the opportunity that we can all work together. And so you'll see this. And I don't mind paying a lot mm-hmm. from a value standpoint when it makes sense. Yeah. And we've got to look at, you know, other pieces of an OMS transition, like, you know, the referral base. Who is the referral base? Like, how old are they? What's the breakdown? You know, are they all of the same retirement age? You know, what's the competition? Clearly, kind of, if you're referral based and you're in a highly concentrated area that's super competitive, you have to know how much of the market is left for me to try to get and what is my advantage as a new buyer coming in to be able to tap into those, you know, those markets. So, I mean, I think also the brand, I mean, if we go back to my example of advanced oral surgery, that has probably a better brand and, and something that's well known to the community than if I'm buying, you know, John Smith oral surgery practice, not nothing against John Smith, just that's, I can't be John Smith. Right. right? And I'm not, and that's clearly obvious. And so that's going to be a harder transition versus I'm buying into a name and people are referring to the practice overall. As a buyer, I'm going to value that higher. So I think that referral base clearly is something that we pay attention to much more than we would in you know a general practice or a non, non-referral based practice. And understanding that and you as a buyer feeling confident and comfortable that you can explore whatever's not being tapped into from a referral base and to be able to transfer those relationships. Right. That is huge. And that's something that we can't tell you, right? right. That's very much something that you have to be comfortable with and, and understand that in the specialty you have chosen, 
that is what it's going to take to kind of be driven and kind of grow those referral sources. So it's something our buyers all freak out about is just that referral relationship. Are they truly going to refer to me? And and they do. And the other thing that the buyer typically is not thinking about is the older guy and gal, when they make 2 million and do 2 million on top and net a million, they typically stop marketing. They're not aggressive anymore. So it's that ability to, let's say that some of your referrals drop off. Well, but you're also, you can't just look at that. I want to discount it. You have to look at it. What's the upside. You know, what are these younger maybe referral base that you went to dental school with that you're all still in relationships with? I had a, a guy where he was married to an OB-GYN. The OB-GYN happened to be pedo. You, you just have to think about all these connections that perhaps you are bringing to the equation so that the OB-GYN has connections right next door to the pediatrician. The pediatrician obviously is a great referral base to the to the pediatric dentist. And then it was going into an orthodontic. You have to see the whole picture of that and not just get so focused on is John Smith, you know, referral base going to send to me. So look at that. Yes, make sure that happens, but also look at some of this other marketing that we can do directly to the patient base to grow this practice and something that you're investing in. So what is the upside of this business is also very key. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you've heard our why you must own speech, if you haven't Google why you must own and Charles Loretto and you can hear it. But if you've heard that one of the six critical steps is or kind of ways to kind of find an opportunity is to figure out kind of what is your unique skill set. And so I think that also goes into looking at What procedures are you going to bring to the table? Kind of what's your specialty? We know you guys can get super unique and specialized within, you know, the OMS kind of umbrella. And so what are you doing? What do you want to do? Look for practices if you're a buyer who maybe either offer that if that's something you want to get into or don't have the skill that you have, because that can be a way to take a practice and create the opportunity for yourself Um, within an existing partnership or within that walk away. So I think that's really important too, to kind of look and see what am I trying to either sell to a buyer or as a buyer, what am I bringing to the table? Yeah. I don't know where this fits in, Christy, but I just, I just started thinking about just some of our surgery groups, but there's personality issues inside surgery. No, (laughs) no way. We we are dealing with some type A, my way, highway type individuals, and that's Mm -hmm. why they become surgeons. That's why you know, I would never have my kid's teeth, you know, pulled out from a GP. I want the surgeon. I want that additional mm-hmm. training. But Absolutely. man, there is a very unique personality that each of you have. Mm-hmm. No offense. And this is but, not just OMS. Like all specialties are, yeah. you're pretty good at this. You can like be like, you're a pedo or right. you're a OMS. So yeah, I mean, so nothing negative. It's just you yeah. are who you are. But the surgeons are a little unique of all the group. And they'll, they'll tell you that. And even the specialists will say, yeah, this guy. But it's It's okay. But what this has to do with when you are transitioning your practice, or especially in a partnership, you really need to make sure from a personality, from a fit standpoint, that this is going to be the right and smooth transition. If, if the guy or gal is not too, you know, you're, you're a little bit different, but it's going to be a walk away. I've got no issues with that. You know, he's a little bit, she's a little bit odd. It's okay. I'm not as concerned if we're doing a walk away. But anytime you're doing these partnerships, you guys are going to be hanging around for a long period of time. We really want these personalities to fit with each other. So, um, sorry, I kind of threw no. that in there. It's just it, it's it's something that is important for us to discuss because you're buying the value of something, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes you're just looking at the individual and going, "Oh, this is negative," or you know, whatever it is. And uh, I just think it's something to strongly consider. I mean, it just goes back to uh, transitions and humans are sometimes a little messy. Yes. Right? 
Yes. So got to kind of navigate the whole thing. So I think we've covered everything I wanted to talk about today. And so I'm hoping this lives up to expectations of those of you who requested this. Remember, every transition is unique. That's why we exist. And that's why we want to help you through whatever kind of that set of terms are that you're kind of working through, whether you're super early in the transition or already kind of have the relationship and know this is your practice and you just have to figure out kind of how the terms work. We're here for you. Complimentary call, buyer's representation, seller transitions, kind of what you need. If it's a transition, we're here. So that's all I've got for today. Yeah. I had this one quick story is this guy that uh, called me up and I won't say the state because it's pretty small state told me where he was going I looked at the practice and the senior guy had no transition plan had no attorney no plan just came up with the number and I talked to the senior guy potentially would try to like help him and you know kind of like where I help both people selling doctor was just one of those weird personalities and his way or the highway I called my buyer back and I said look I really like the practice I think the best thing for you is just you guys to work it out on your own let him kind of drive this little ship train and create the partnership when it's kind of at the final stages i'll have to take a look at it no cost just to kind of get you into that and then we'll basically once you're an owner kind of switch it back to our you know cane waters relationship so there's not every single time that we're going to look at a deal for you and just say hey yeah you need us there's times that you're really far in the deal that we just say hey this looks good and move on and there's times that you might be a second year resident in a six-year program that you want us to look at something and we're happy to do that so whatever that situation is or wherever you are early in the process already in the process maybe you're already existing surgeon and thinking about bringing an associate in you just want us to kind of coach you and what that will look like because maybe you're talking to a second or third year resident we want to be involved as early as we can just to kind of navigate this process so always just feel free no matter early or late to jump out and see what we can do to help so says that Charles Loretto can't do a wrap-up. I mean, you've really learned something in these 54 episodes. All right, team, that's all we got for today. Thanks for joining us on episode 54 of Transition Talk. Thanks for listening wherever you listen. We love doing what we do and talking to you. Make sure to subscribe to Transition Talk and wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time. See you guys.